Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Good to see you today. I was scheduled to start a new sermon series this morning entitled Defiance, Dare to be Different. But we're going to postpone the beginning of that series one week. I'll start that next week. We're going to be working our way through the book of Esther. But uh, this morning, I've got something that the Lord really placed on my heart uh, strongly and said, before you get to that series, you got to share this. And so this morning, I don't even have a title for it. I don't know what to title it. I've gone kind of back and forth and back and forth. But there's this story in the Bible that has just had a hold of me for more than a week now. And I've rattled it around in my head dozens and dozens of times. And I want to share this story with you. And you see if you can learn any valuable lessons from it. It's a dark story. It's one of the darkest stories in the Bible, if not the darkest story I've ever read in the Bible. But if you'll look very carefully at it, there is a ray of light that can be found in there. And that's what we're going to be looking for, okay? So the story's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Are you with me? Good, good, good. Kind of picture this scene in your mind. If you would, just use your imagination to, to, to go somewhere with me. Let's travel to the Middle East, to the land that would eventually be known as Israel. It's a hot day. And it's the hottest part of a very hot day. Picture a, a grove of oak trees. In that grove of oak trees, there's a tent. And sitting in front of the tent, there is an old man. His name is Abraham. Now, Abraham, sitting there, he sees three men walk up. He takes a hard look at them, and he realizes these aren't ordinary men. He recognized that they were angels. Now, I don't know how he did that. But he recognized very clearly These were three angels. So he rushed over to welcome them. And he recognizes that one of the angels is not just any angel. He's an angel referred to in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, which probably means it was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus himself. And so you got the angel of the Lord, Jesus, and you got two angels. Well, he falls before them, bows in humility before them, and he encourages them, would you please come and just sit under the shade of this tree and be refreshed. They oblige. Abraham has water brought so that these, you know, so that the Lord and these two angels can wash their feet. He said, it, it would really do my heart good if you would let me and my family prepare a meal and feed you. And they said, okay. So he goes to, Abraham runs to his wife Sarah and he said, would you make you know, some homemade bread. He goes out into his herds. He chooses a calf. He takes it to a servant and said, quickly, you know, dress this out and roast this. And so in great haste, this meal was prepared. And, and the Bible said they served these, the Lord and two angels homemade bread, roast beef with milk to drink. I don't know about you, but man, that sounds pretty good to me. 
But then they kind of messed it up in the New Living Translation. It said, along with this, Abraham served these angels yogurt. I mean, really? Yogurt? I, I thought, why would you do something like that? Why mess up a good meal with yogurt? I got to study it and I realized that it could have meant that it was some type of cheese that was served or it could have even been butter for the bread. Now that sounds really good for me. Now the Lord and these angels ate to their field and as they're eating they have this conversation with Abraham and Sarah about their future. And when the conversation is over, the Lord and the two angels stood up, got ready to leave and when they did they looked in the direction of a city called Sodom. Sodom lay in the Jordan Valley. There were other cities there, one that you've probably heard of, Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, two fairly large cities. But then in this Jordan River Valley, there were also other cities and villages. There were lots of them. They looked in that direction. Abraham walked with them for a little piece, and the Lord stopped, and he turned to the two angels. And he said, should I hide from Abraham what we're about to do? And, and he didn't even give me a chance to answer. He was kind of like, I'll paraphrase. He said, no, nah, I'm going to tell him. He needs to know what we're about to do. And so the Lord turned to Abraham and he said, we've, we've come here on mission. We're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And every other city, every other town and village that's in the Jordan Valley, we're going to annihilate them. We're going to kill every person. Now, you think about this. I tell, did I tell you it's a dark story? We're going to kill every person. We're going to burn every town to the ground. We're going to destroy all the vegetation, leaving nothing but a wasteland. We've come to do that. Now, I want to tell you why. The Lord goes on to tell Abraham. Because they are so, the people there are so sinful. They have absolutely exhausted my patience. You know what he was saying? These people crossed a line and there's no turning back. I have no recourse of action here but to execute judgment on the whole lot of them. And there's a side of God we don't talk about much. Well, the two angels, they leave and they, they're heading in the direction of Sodom. And the Lord stands there with Abraham. And Abraham said, uh, uh, excuse me for what I'm about to say, but I kind of got an issue with that. Now you think about this. This was a human being talking to the Lord. And he said, I'm just going to be frank with you. I, I don't want to offend you, but I, I, I just got a problem with what you're about to do here. He said, why would you punish the righteous along with the wicked? Why would you kill righteous people along with wicked people? He said, that doesn't sound fair to me. And the word he used was right. I don't think that's right. He said, you are the judge of the earth, and it's expected of you that you would be fair and just and that you would always do right. And that doesn't sound right to me. Then he began to bargain or negotiate, I think would be a better word, with the Lord. He said, if you found 50 righteous people, not just in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah and all these cities combined, if you found 50 people who 
were in a right relationship with you and trying to live the right way, he said, would you spare everybody in the Jordan Valley? And you know what the Lord said? I sure would. If, if there were 50 righteous people in all those towns and cities collectively, I'd spare everybody. Abraham couldn't help but notice, though, he didn't call the angels back. They just kept going in the direction of Sodom. He knew what that meant. Uh, there weren't 50 righteous people. So he said, you're just going to have to be patient with me and forgive me, but let me just throw this out there. If there were 45, if there were 45 good people down there, would you spare everybody? You know what the Lord said? I sure would. But he didn't call the angels back. Abraham said, look, I'm just dust and ashes. That's how he referred to himself. And you are the Lord. But I need to to ask you something. If if there were 30, if there were 30, would you spare everybody? He said, I would. He didn't call the angels back. He said, what about 20? Yes, I'd spare them all for 20. Nothing changed. What about 10? If there were 10, the Lord said, if I could find 10 good people in all those cities combined, I would spare everybody. But he didn't call the angels back. There weren't ten righteous people in all those cities combined. So at this point, I believe Abraham shifted gears. and He wasn't praying just for righteous people uh, collectively or generically. He began to pray for someone specifically. His nephew Lot lived in Sodom. And Lot's family was in Sodom. And I, I think I can prove this in just a minute. I, Abraham switched gears and said, "Well, would you at least do this? Would you save my nephew and his family before you execute judgment against the rest of these people? Would you do that? And apparently the Lord said, I will. Now, the Bible said the Lord went his way. The angels had gone their way. And uh, at evening, these two angels showed up at the city of Sodom. When they go in the gate, there is Abraham's nephew, Lot, sitting there. Lot sees a couple of strangers who have arrived in town. And I don't know how he did it, but he must have taken a second glance, a closer look. He also recognized these guys aren't just your run-of-the-mill Visitors to our little town. They're angels. He goes over. He falls at their feet. And he begins to beg them. Will you, will you, will you spend the night at our house? You know, we would love to prepare a feast for you. And, and, get, and help you have a good night's sleep. So that you're refreshed and ready to pick up on your journey tomorrow. And, and you know what the angel said? Not necessary. Appreciate the offer. But that's just not necessary. We're going to sleep right here at the town gate, underneath the stars. I believe there was a real look of concern on Lot's face, and he, he began to beg him, please don't do that. Please reconsider that. I'm begging you, come to my house. The angels said, well, if it's that important to you, I guess that's what we'll do. So they go and they have the, they prepare this feast and the you know these angels they like to eat didn't they huh? 
Later that evening, someone begins to pound on the front door. Lot opens up the door, and his little house is surrounded by men. The Bible said that every man, young and old, who lived in the city of Sodom had come to Lot's house. And someone spoke up for the group and said, Hey, uh, those two guys that came to town, we know they're staying with you. Send them out so that we can have sex with them. Don't you think about this. Every man in town wanted his turn with these two guys. Told you it was a dark story, didn't I? Lot begged them. Please don't do this. Please. And then he did something that absolutely I can't explain what he was thinking. I can't explain why he would do it. He looked at those men and said, I got two daughters, never slept with a man. If you'll leave these two guys alone, I'll send them out to you and you can do with them whatever you want. This offer infuriated them it really insulted them they felt like that Lot was judging them because of their sexual orientation and they looked at him and said let me tell you what you send those two men out or we're going to do something far worse to you well about that time the door opens and a hand reaches out and grabs Lot it's one of the angels and jerks him in the house closes the door back and bolts it And then one of the angels struck every man in that city with blindness. And having been struck by blindness, it discouraged them from continuing on. And they dispersed and left Lot and the angels and his family alone. Now, that's chapter 18 and part of chapter 19. But I want us to read what happens next. It's chapter 19, verse number 12. I want you to read this with me. It said, Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they ask? Get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, any relative you've got, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and it is He who has sent us to destroy it. What are they doing here? They're warning Him. So that he and his family have a chance to escape judgment, certain judgment. They're warning him. So what does he do? He goes and finds his two daughters' fiancés, and he tells them this story. I tell you what, God's about to drop you know, a, a bomb on this place. Everybody's left here is going to be destroyed. We've got to all get out of town. You know how his daughters' fiancés responded? They laughed at him. I mean... Who was he to talk about God and judgment and salvation? I mean, they saw him as a joke. You know, guys, I hope that that's not the way the world perceives us when we try to talk to them about things of God. So what what happened next? I want you to look at verse 15. At dawn the next morning, I've got to be honest with you, don't see myself hanging around that long, do you? At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Look at this word, hurry. Hurry, they said to Lot. You know what that tells me? He's dilly-dallying around. He's dragging his feet. 
Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out when? Right now. Or you're going to be swept away in the destruction of this city. Verse 16 amazes me. It says, when Lot still hesitated. What's wrong with this guy? When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. You see what's going on? I mean, this, this man, he's the head of his household. He's been given a clear warning from God as to what's coming. He's given an opportunity to lead his family to safety. And he is just him high and around like, like there's nothing you know, serious that's about to go down. So you know what the angels did? They said, doggone it, if you won't listen to us, if you won't heed our warning, we'll drag you out of here if that's what we got to do. And that is exactly what they did. The angels dragged them out to the city gate, and the angels said, you guys need to run for your lives. You need to beat a path to those mountains as quickly as you can get there, because if not, you're going to be destroyed. And they gave them this instruction and said, don't you dare look back at this place. Don't ever look back in this direction. You're not going to believe what uh, Lot began to do. He began to uh, negotiate with those two angels. Man, we can be pretty dense, can't we? Kind of slow. He said, uh, I don't know about going up into those mountains. I think if we go to those mountains, something bad could happen to us. I mean, really? Huh? Something bad is about to happen to you if you don't get out of there. He's like, I don't know. He said, there's this little town over here. The, the town, was, it was a small town, and you know they called it Zoar, which meant little place. Huh? How's that? He said, what if we went to that town? Would, would, would that be okay? The angel said, I think the angels were just fed up with him. I think that, you know, they, they're, they don't kind of put out, they don't even know what to do. He, and the angel said, I'll tell you what, we're going to make a concession. Go to the town, but you better get there quickly. And look at what he said. He gives him a reason, verse number 22. He said, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. In other words, we've got a job to do, and everything's on hold until you, your wife, and your daughters get into safety. You see that? The Bible said that uh, Lot and his two daughters made it just about the time the sun was coming over the mountains. His, his wife didn't make it. Somewhere along the path, she stopped. And she looked back in the direction of Sodom. Now, the Bible says that, that that word looked meant to look longingly. You know what it's saying about her? She loved that sinful, corrupt place. She loved that sinful, corrupt life. She couldn't bear the thought of leaving that. She turned around and looked longingly. And the Bible said when she did, God judged her and turned her into a pillar of salt. Uh, Did I tell you this was a dark story? So as soon as Lot and his two daughters were safely in this little town... Uh, I'm going to put it like this. God unleashed hell on them. He rained fire out of the sky. It's as though he brought hell from above. 
and did just what he said he was going to do. He killed everyone. He destroyed everything, leaving nothing but a wasteland. Look at verse 27. The Bible said, Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. What do we learn in this story? And there's probably a ton we could learn from it, right? There is a lesson here that might not be obvious at first glance that I felt like was a ray of light in maybe the darkest story I've ever read. The lesson is this. Prayer makes a difference. You say, what? That's the lesson. Prayer makes a difference. You say, where you get that? Okay. Lot and his two daughters were saved from certain destruction. The judgment of God. Why? Was, was this the original plan of God? That he would rescue Lot and his family, then judge these places? I don't think so. I think the original mission read like this. Destroy every city, every town, every village in the Jordan Valley. Period. But the end result was quite different. Three people were saved. Why were they saved? Was it because they were good people? Was it because, I'll put it this way. Was it because they deserved it? I mean, think about this. Uh, I don't think so because the Bible said that this deliverance was an act of God's mercy, which means they probably deserved to be destroyed along with everybody else, but God was merciful to them, and he didn't destroy them. I mean, think about it. These weren't, uh, the Bible tells us plainly that Lot knew God. He wasn't a good guy. You get what I'm saying? His daughters were not virtuous women. They had no more than been delivered from this judgment than they got Lot, their father, drunk, and both of them had sex with him, conceived children, and bore sons so that their dad was their child's dad. That's twisted, you know it? These weren't good people who deserved to be delivered from God's judgment. You got it? Was it just that Lot was so discerning and wise that, well, he recognized a warning from God when he heard it, and and so he acted responsibly and said, come on, family, we got to get out of here. No, I'm telling you what. If it had been up to him, he would have dragged his feet until his family. Why? Why did God save Lot and these two girls? Look at verse 29. This is the verse. But God had listened to Abraham's request. Kept Lot safe. Did you see that? But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. You know why he was saved? Somebody prayed for him. Abraham prayed. For Lot, and he prayed specifically, God, before you execute judgment, save him. Save him. God listened to Abraham's prayers. He chose to honor that request. And so he changed some things about his plan. Have you ever thought about this? 
He changed some things. You know, at first the angels got one mission, just wipe the place out. Now all of a sudden they've got a new mission. You've got to warn Lot so that hopefully he will get his family to safely. Why? Because I have honor, I'm honoring Abraham's request and I'm going to save these people. And so the angels had a new mission, warn this man, warn his family. But, they had another, and, and, but if they're unwilling to listen, you're going to physically remove them. Why? Because I am going to answer Abraham's prayer. That's why. Think about the power of this man's prayer, his intercession with God for another human being. God is changing and rearranging things because a human being has asked him to do so. When we enter into the presence of God and we begin talking with Him, He listens. Even though we're just dust and ashes. The God who made us, who breathed life in, in, into, these, you know, into dust, He listens when we talk. And sometimes He chooses to honor our request and do the very things we're asking Him to do. And when, when He does, I'm telling you, God in heaven sets things in motion, changes things, rearranges things, so that in the end what we've asked for is the, very, is the outcome of the story. Prayer makes a difference. Now, the two things I want you to know before we leave here. First of all, someone prayed for you. And it made a difference. Someone prayed for you. And it made a difference. You're blessed. God has done some things for you. He has given you some things. He's opened up some doors for you. And in doing so, he has greatly enriched your life. If I were to ask you this morning, why has God blessed you the way he has? If you were honest, I'll tell you how I think most of us would answer. We just, I think we'd say, well, I've tried to live right. And I, I, try, to, I try to do the right thing, you know. I've been fa- fairly faithful to God and... I think, I think he's rewarded my effort to live for him by blessing me. If we were to ask God, why have you blessed, why have you blessed them the way you have? You know he might answer that question differently. You know what he could say? Because they got a friend. They have a family member. They have a spouse. They have a grandmother. They have a co-worker. They have a neighbor. That often stood in my presence and prayed for them. And the reason I'm blessing them is because that person asked me to. Boy, I'm I'm looking at people who've come through some stuff, man. I mean some nasty stuff. Some difficult times. And if I were to ask you how, how did you make it through that? You you might answer like this. Well, uh, just kept our faith. We're pretty resilient. We had the right people around us. If you were to ask God, how did they get through that? How were they delivered from this? You know what he might say? Somebody prayed for them. Somebody saw what they were going through and hurt the way that they were hurting. Somebody cared enough for them that they came into my presence over and over and over again and asked me, do whatever you need to do to get them out of this and to get them through this. You know what? Somebody prayed for you, and it made a difference. 
And I tell you, the second thing you've got to know before I let you go is you can pray for someone and it will make a difference. Do you know anybody in trouble? Do you know anybody hurting? Do you know anybody who's in danger? I mean, their marriage may be in danger of ending. They may be in danger of losing their job, their home. Maybe they're in danger of being swallowed up in depression or in danger of losing the quality of their life because of some disease or sickness. You know of somebody in danger of making a decision so bad that they're going to pay for it for the rest of their life? You know anyone in danger of dying at any moment and spending an eternity in hell? Would you like to make a difference in their life and in their situation? Because you can. You say, Ronnie, I've talked and talked and talked till I'm blue in the face and they won't listen to me. Well, maybe it's time to stop talking to them and it's time to start talking to God on their behalf. Maybe it's time to enter into the presence of God and say, I'm here today not for me but for them. And I'm here as long as it takes. I'll negotiate. I'll bargain. I'll beg. Whatever it takes, God, I'm asking you to step into their situation and deliver them and bless them. Prayer will make a difference because prayer will get God involved. He can change anything. He can change anyone. He can deliver anyone from whatever. I remember after I had been converted, often thinking, what happened to me? My sister knows me, knew me well. I think, what in the world happened to me? How did I end up a Christian? Because she'll tell you, you could count on one hand the, the times I went to a church, and every time I went to a church, I didn't want to go to a church, and all I wanted was to get out of that church. And I had no understanding of the Bible whatsoever. You know, the, my grandfather probably, I guess you could say, was the only real Christian in our circle, and I did everything I could to avoid him as much as possible. I didn't have any Christian friends who were witnessing to me. So I wondered, how did I end up a Christian? I don't get it. One day after I, after I was saved, I was talking with my grandfather. And he said, Ronnie, on the hill above my house, there's a path. And it is worn down to bare earth. Because every night, every night, I go up on the hill and I walk that path out and back, out and back, out and back, praying. And he said, every night, I prayed for you, that you would be saved. Bingo, I got it. I know what happened to me. An old man. Faithfully, 
went into the presence of God every night with me on his heart and talked to God and said, you need to do for him what, what I can't do for him. You need to save him. I'm asking you. And God honored his request, and that's what happened to me. Someone prayed for you, and it made a difference, and I'm going to give you some homework. I'm sure there are people that pray for you, and you don't even know who they are. But there are some people who have prayed for you and who do pray for you, and you know them. As a matter of fact, you probably thought about them for just a moment during the sermon. Here's your homework. If they're still living, you need to thank them. Somehow, some way, you've got to communicate to them that I know that your prayers have made a huge difference in my life, and I want to thank you for faithfully praying for me. I want to, I'm encouraging you to do that. Don't you know if Lot had known the only reason I'm alive, the only reason my girls are alive, is because my uncle Abraham was faithful to pray for us. How grateful he would have been. Guys, let them know if they're already in heaven. I tell you what, get on your knees sometime this week and thank God for them. They prayed for you and it made all the difference. But you can pray for someone and it will make a difference. Here's the way I want us to close this service. I've known all week what the purpose of this service was. We came here today not necessarily to worship or to learn. I tell you what we all came here today to do. We came here to help somebody. That's why we're here. We're here because all of us know somebody who's in trouble. All of us know somebody who's in danger. All of us know somebody who needs a visit from God and a miracle from God. You know why you know? Because you can make a difference. You can step right into the presence of God and you can pray for them. And I believe God will take it from there. So I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and all eyes be closed. All we're doing here is creating a private moment. That's all we're doing. Who is it? It's in your mind and on your heart right now. In dire need of God stepping in and doing some things to get them out of a real mess or to escort them into a time of greater blessing. I I don't know. Who is it that's on your mind? They may not see the situation. Maybe they don't even see the situation. They don't even see the gravity of it. But boy, you do. I'm going to ask you to do something. You're carrying anybody like that on your heart. I'm going to ask you to stand in the presence of God. Just as a visible demonstration, Lord, here I am. I'm entering into your presence for their sake. I'm going to ask you to just stand. 
Lord, I'm standing in your presence for a friend. I'm standing in your presence for a family member. I'm standing in your presence for a co-worker or a neighbor. I'm standing in your presence this morning for my child. And like Abraham, I want you to, I want you to intercede for them. Father, this morning, I I carry some friends on my heart. I carry some family members on my heart. We've talked uh, all week long about them. I don't think I can help them. Not in and of myself. But I know you can. I'm asking you to do something. I'm talking big and supernatural and spiritual is, I mean, you know, Lord, you sent angels into Sodom to warn Lot and his family. It was huge. I'm praying, God, that you'll begin to speak to my friends, my, my family members, those, Lord, that I'm so concerned about. Would you speak to them? Would, would you move upon them? Would you step in and help them? And God, there are people all over this church. They've got the same thing going on in their mind and their heart. Right now they're carrying a burden for people. And I just pray that you'll listen to the, to the cries of our heart this morning. And as a result of our coming together here today, I pray that people are going to be helped. And helped big and helped soon. Father, I pray that it won't end today. And it won't end and we dismiss here in just a few minutes. But that we will continue this practice, continue this observance. And Lord, no matter if we are sitting in an easy chair or driving down the highway or sitting in a boat fishing. That we'll occasionally slip into your presence. And pray on behalf of people. Knowing that prayer makes a difference. In Christ's name we pray together. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.